Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Welcome to Improv Interviews. Today, we have a wonderful guest. As I was thinking about her earlier today, I thought some people just kind of sit back and wait for things to happen, and this lady makes things happen. Mickey Manting is the director and founder of the Vintage Improv Festival every year, and this year is going to be online. And so I hope all of our viewers will sign up for this fantastic event that's coming up. Good morning, Mickey. Good morning, Marco. So let me ask you, how did you get into improv? Oh my gosh, that's like, I, well, so officially, I think that it was a New Year's resolution uh, about 10 years ago that um, someone asked me if I was going to make my New Year's resolutions on the 1st of January. And I was like, so like, oh my God, I can't believe this person still does resolutions. And I felt really <laughs> any way that I talked to them about New Year's resolutions. So on January the 1st, I was like, okay, I guess I could do a New Year's resolution. And so my resolution was to do something new once every month, every month that year that I would do something I'd never done before. So, so I think that Living Social was an app that just came out then. Uh -huh. And I didn't know anything about it. And I was driving to work. And I, um, it's a long story, but I'm almost done. I was driving to work. Take your time. We have plenty of time, Mickey. <laughs> And, and they and they basically uh, the ad was for Living Social, and I was living in Tallahassee, Florida. And there was a they said, and one of the specials on Living Social, if you sign up for the app, is fifty percent off from these improv classes. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, January is going to be signing up for Living Social, and February will be taking improv classes. And then I started taking them, and it was like the first class I went to. I was like, oh my god, this is like so much fun. And where was your first class? Uh, in Tallahassee, Florida. In Tallahassee? Yeah. That's fantastic. And we we actually bit by the bug at that point, do you think, Mickey? Oh, I think so. You know, it was a kind of quirky uh, version of, uh, of improv. It was all games, and they were all, like, incredibly competitive. Like, if you didn't win, you sat out for the rest of the game. So, so it's unlike any other improv that I've ever taken, quite honestly. Uh, well, that sounds yeah. like comedy sports. Yeah, I think so. Probably. It was, it was ruthless, <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> like, it, it was yeah. like, it was just like, you go, oh my gosh, I'm laughing. And, and you have to think, right? Right. Right. Just, right. Yeah. So it was really fun. So where did you go from there? I went to El Paso, Texas, and there wasn't any improv for a couple of years. 
And, uh, and so when I was leaving El Paso, I was moving to Boston and I knew I was like really excited about coming to Boston just for my job, but also because I knew they had comedy schools there and I knew that I, you know, and they had improv theaters and I knew I'd be able to take the, the full comedy school thing. Oh, that's great. And so you went to Improv Boston? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you had, did you meet Will there, Will Luria? Actually, Will was gone. Okay. Uh, at that point, however, he's so beloved that, uh, you know, he would come back uh, for, a whole, I guess, because he travels a lot doing improv. And he would come back and periodically... Um, he would give a class either at Improv Boston or there was a group that used to practice together on Sunday mornings that knew him really well. So they would bring him into that group. I'm sure he just did it because he was kind and it, it wasn't a big group, but we got to practice with him. Well, he has a huge heart and he's marvelous fun to play with, isn't he? He's just a great guy. Lucky yeah. to have him in Florida. So let's go back a little bit. I want to ask you, Mickey, a couple. Are you from uh, Florida originally? Are you Florida native? I, I don't think they call me a Florida native because quite honestly, I think I lived in 12 different places going to school. Um, but, I, but, but the affinity, or if you ask me where I am from, I'd say Florida, but that's not where I spent the first eight years of my life. So, And, ha and how did you get your name? Oh, you mean my name, Mickey? Oh, gosh. Well, so my name is Michelle, and I really love my name. You know, it's not like I don't like that. You know, some people have nicknames, and they, they just don't like their name, right? But I really do like Michelle. My mom said that she named all of her kids with names that couldn't have nicknames. So it was a challenge, actually. And I just decided, you know, well, I never have had a nickname. And when I moved to Boston, I was like, oh, I want a nickname. So everything I do with improv, or other things that aren't my, you know, my family or my professional life. I just, uh, I'm just Mickey. So now if, if, if my name doesn't get changed on my screen, like on Zoom, and somebody calls me Michelle, or if I'm out someplace in public and they call me Michelle and is improvising, I don't recognize that as me. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And um, did you go to the University of Miami? I did. Uh, how'd you know that? <laughs> oh, I try to do a little research on my guess. Yeah, I did. I, I went to the University of Miami, like right after or right at the waning of the cocaine wars. Nice time to be in Miami. I and loved it. I didn't hang out in those places. Yeah, Miami was beautiful. It's still beautiful, but the 80s were a special time, South Beach and everything. Yeah. And excitement and the art. So you were becoming a, a medical doctor and right. you had a specialty, right? Uh, I do. I'm an OBGYN. And are you currently in practice still? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, so I, I, what I, so I sort of went through this period like I for oh gosh I've lost track of time for 15 or 16 years I was in academic medicine and um and then so when I said I did improv and I started in you know 10 years or so ago actually the truth is that what I ended up doing professionally when I was at medical school 
uh, at, you know, as a faculty was I, I created uh, and evaluated simulations in healthcare, specifically in, um, in women's healthcare. And so I'd set up all of these things and I'd train the, uh, the, they called them standardized patients. I think there's a different name for them now, but I would train them for these scenarios. And the way that I would write the scenarios would be that they really have to be able to improvise because I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to get more information than just one piece. Like if somebody doesn't know the answer to a question, it doesn't mean they don't know something. And so if I could teach the, um, the, the SPs to improvise, they could actually elicit other information that could be evaluated. So I spent a lot of time teaching the SPs how to improvise in those situations. So I guess I've actually been doing it for about 20 years. Exactly. Now, what's an SP for those who don't know? Oh, well, that's a standardized patient. And there oh, may okay. be for them now, but I mean... That and they, they use actors sometimes, don't they? Right, yeah. right. They were actors. They were either, like, typically, they would be, um, well, in the places where I lived. I mean, I guess it depends on where you, you're located. But in the places I would live, they typically be actors, like, uh, from, like, little theater, local little theaters and stuff. And sometimes just people that like to act that, yeah. they, that were teachable. But, Terrific. Yeah. Terrific. And so how are you practicing today? Are you doing telehealth or? Um... So I, I work. So I, I got, I worked so many hours as an academic physician that I just felt like I didn't have a life. So about six years ago, I decided to work as a laborist, which means I just work in the hospital, kind of like if you think what an emergency room doctor does, only I deliver babies. So that's what I do is I, I work in the hospital. I work at night. I'm not a night person, really, but I work at night and I deliver lots of babies. And so you're doing that now during the pandemic. Um, so, so I'll go back to work like in about a week. I broke my, um, my right wrist, uh, uh, in February. And, um, and so it's really important for what I do to be able to, you know, have strength in my wrist and it's, it's back now. So I'll be able to go back, uh, to work. Uh, oh, that's terrific. Week. What a beautiful thing, delivering babies. That must just be so fulfilling and, oh, I, and spiritual. I, uh, yeah, you know, like, so the, <laughs> my, the nurses, they started calling me the baby whisperer or no, no, that's really, true. that's not what they call me. They call me the, the, the vaginal whisperer. They're <laughs> serious too. And so what it is, is I have a pretty low C-section rate, knock on wood. And, um, and so, and so in times where somebody might say, oh, we need to go do a C-section, I'll just go, well, let's see what goes on. And so they'll deliver vaginally. So they just, they, they look at me like it's magic, but it's not magic. I learned a lot of stuff from midwives when I was in training. And so I just try to be patient like midwives are. That's, that's terrific. Um, there's a book I read. I, I think we're close to the same generation. I, I graduated my schooling and, and around the same time you went through University of Miami. And there was a book called Spiritual Midwifery. Yeah. I make it. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I actually, I actually spent, I, I stayed with Ina Mae Gaskin. 
<gasps> wow. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, what was that experience like? Gosh. I only stayed, I think, maybe two nights, but but I was doing, I had a mentor in um, in my residency that was not in, she was a psychologist. She was actually, she was a sex therapist. And so I had this idea that an OBGYN ought to know something about, you know, about sex. And, uh, and so I asked my department chair if I could do a rotation with her as an elective. And it turns out her patients or did not really want me involved in their care, but she was amazing. And so she just developed this way of thinking about women's health with me about like what my core values were. And so I spent, I don't know, like eight months with her before I did this elective. And then, uh, and then two months doing the elective. And she was basically, what do you want to do? And so I was exploring stuff and I was like, well, that would be like really cool to reach out because we were looking at like the reason my C-section rate is so low is we were looking at why do midwives have low C-section rates and, and, and obstetricians have higher. And so I was like, well, Ina Mae Gaskins like is really cool. She talked at this thing that I went to as a medical student. She was just reach out to her. And so I reached out to her and she invited me. She told me I needed to read the book and she invited me to come and spend a, you know, a couple days with her and see what they did. So I got to go to Tennessee to the farm and, uh, and stay with her and her family. And it was, you know, and we went to, we did other things other than just me eating at her house. But, but yeah, so, so that I, it was a process of like looking at how do you do something and asking questions. And so, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I was going to say, so that, and you were at the actual Gaskins farm, which is mentioned in some song lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must have been a cool place. It was really, you know, what was, she, she's an amazingly brilliant person. And I think her husband probably also, except I don't know that much about him other than just peripherally. Like, I guess he was kind of like the, the, the person that they all centered around and followed in Volkswagen ba- vans and such in the 60s and found this place in Tennessee. But, you know, this is like the flower child, like free love kind of era. And when mm-hmm. I was there, their kids were in their late teens, early 20s. And, the, and, the, and I went to a town meeting and the topic of concern was the kids wanting to smoke pot. It's <laughs> interesting, you know. They're having <laughs> that is like they were close to the same age when they made their migration to Tennessee. And right, I'm sure right. There's <laughs> like how you change when you how you change in what your outlook on life is to some at least to some degree when it's your kids that are involved. That's so funny. That's terrific. Wow, you have had such a varied career. So. You got, you fell in love with improv. And then a few years ago, I think you had some idea in your head about something about maybe older improvisers getting together. Tell me how that evolved into what's now known as the Vintage Improv Festival coming up in September. So probably the, the beginning of it was just trying to get the people that were older, that were students at in at Improv Boston, recognized as a, a, a crowd of people that were kind of outliers. 
you know, they weren't on any cast teams. They didn't really even get called back for, you know, call back for those auditions. And even indie teams, they had some programs for indie teams, even indie teams, there were, at that point, there weren't any people over 50 on any of the casts or any of the indie teams. In fact, I don't think there were any teachers that were over 50. So we started like going, you know, like you keep losing students by about level three that are 50, you know, what's going on, you know, and there's no, there's no role models for them. And it just went on. So finally I was like, well, if we're ever going to get a chance to perform, we're going to have to start our own troupe. So started a troupe called Elderberry Jam and in figuring out the advertising for it, we made a logo and on the logo, it's got Elderberry Jam world's, uh, world's finest vintage improv or something like that. And the whole idea was that vintage improv, vintage improv was um, this fine aged, lovely thing, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, so that's how the vintage idea started. And then as we started, as we started doing our, you know, our shows and, and things, um, I started thinking about other things, you know, like I, like what else might be beneficial for people over 50 in our community. So we started a jam. So we had a monthly jam and we invited everybody to come to it, but we hosted it. And then one of my, David Silberman, who's a, one of the people on my board was like, I know you've got something else in your mind. And I'd been like looking on some of the improv boards and stuff and people were going, well, we should do something for people over 50. And I was like, we can do that. And then I just started, you know, I just started. I, I mean, I don't just like to talk about things. I kind of, once I feel like it's like worth doing, I want to get it done. I don't want to just like go, oh, that's a good idea. So, so we started it. Well, it's so funny. We're really mind melding because I kept thinking of the word doing or doer in relation talking, speaking with you today, that you are really a person who does things. So you started the, fe this is going to be the third year of the festival. Correct. And um, it's international, correct? There are going to be people yeah. from all over the world. And um, tell me, have you had some favorite moments in the first two that were really spectacular? And it's a lot, and I know it's a lot of work. You and your team are doing a lot of work organizing this. I think like one of the things that, so one the, from the first year, like I, I, so, so I have a, I don't know if it's like my Dutch heritage or whatever, but it's kind of like they're like Presbyterian re Christian reform kind of stern, whatever. And so I've, my emotions are a little bit separate from the doing part of it. I mean, they're there, but they're, they're separate. So, so I think it was like, we did all the work for the first festival and we got it all set up and everybody was together and about halfway through, because the first festival was one day, one of the guys, a big muscular, you know, like guy's guy came up to me. We were talking and he had tears in his eyes. And he was like, he was like, this is like so wonderful. You don't know how meaningful this is. And it, that struck me then, you know, like, oh, it's more than an idea. And it's more than this, this nice time that we're getting to spend together this really has a meaning right for people 
And, and I don't know why that surprised me so much, but it really touched me. I, so I think that was, that was like, uh, yeah, that was probably like a really memorable moment from that first festival. Um, and the same, I guess the same kind of thing for working on this year is like, I get so like, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. And it's just, you know, I think it's in my DNA, but I get sort of that, that intellectual part of me just like push ahead and get this stuff done. And, and then, so when I was thinking about the festival this year and it was clear it was going to have to be online mm -hmm. if we were going to have it then it was like okay how do we make this happen and I just started doing the stuff that I thought that I needed to do to make it happen and in the course of doing that I was going to my original plan was I'll set up a few workshops so that I make sure I understand the mechanics of how this is going to work for the festival that's the 11th through the 13th of September and so somewhere in May, and I was like, June, that's it. I'm done with that. And I'll go back to work and I'll do whatever. And somebody said, oh, please don't stop the programming in June. Keep it going through the summer. And, you know, into the fall, we're going to be stuck here with the pandemic for a long time. And that, and then I was like, oh go past June <laughs> like and then I started thinking about it and and actually what they had said to me was and and I don't know why I didn't like realize it before is that this is a meaningful thing for people right I mean it so it touched me it it got past my intellectual you know brain and it sort of touched me that that this is something that's meaningful for people in this really horrible time you know, and, and, and there's isolation and lack of laughter and a whole lot of things that come from the panic, uh, the pandemic and, and being in relative isolation to be safe and, and for, you know, and, and this is a deadly, deadly time to, you know, to misstep out in public. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like more than just a festival of three days this is you know this is something special for right now i don't know how long that that time but so so then i was like okay well i need to keep doing this but i don't know up until that point it was just like oh yeah i just need to understand how to do this to make the festival work in september so that was pretty meaningful to me well it's certainly been meaningful to me because i've been taking a lot of the workshops that you've been offering you have tremendous faculty like david rosowski jay suko uh, and many more and last night was a music workshop with Falsino, a wonderful young man uh but very wise and old in his <laughs> sense of empathy and caring and it's a wonderful offering so if if people need to sign up and come to some of these workshops because they're just stellar. They really are. You've done such a great job with them and I love coming. And I think, I, I don't know if this was meant to be a, a special bonus package for you, but I seem to see you in most of these workshops. So you're doing a lot of classes too. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a bonus package. Like, so initially, initially it was like you know like i was on my journey of figuring out how this is going to work and so like i was like well i i need to see what's going on in these workshops because if i'm going to offer this workshop at the festival i need to know you know like what it is 
but the honest truth is it is like I get to go, I get to go to them. So yeah. So as much as possible, I will be in the workshops, but, but um, yeah. So it is a bonus. Oh, it's tremendous. And I love playing with you. You're very um, mellow player. I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. That was, yeah, I, I it, it's, it's kind of, I, I think that a lot of the um, the faculty that we have for the um, for the festival and the workshops and everything are pretty mellow, right? I mean, I think that yeah. that you know, and they very much uh, what I find is, with some exceptions, which are intentional, there's a lot of like relationship-based um, scene work that happens, and that's really I think that contributes maybe to being absolutely. that way absolutely as jay said to me always love your partner and that really stuck with me to think about loving my partner and what's so beautiful about these workshops is there's people who have never done improv before or maybe just and then there's people who are fairly uh studied have studied quite a bit so they're so wonderful in adapting the classes so everybody gets to feel comfortable so, um, yeah, I just can't wait for my next class to come up. Really <laughs> so um, what do you see in the future after this huge success, which it will be? <laughs> so, well, I mean, so hopefully, you know, we'll just keep having the festival. And I don't see the virtual part of it going away even when the pandemic is waned because there's too much... Um, there's too much connection that's available that transcends the geographic issues. Yeah. yeah. And all, I, so there's two parts. I mean, the, the, the in-person festival is an incredible, it, it's an incredible phenomenon. I, I, you can't replace it with what's happening online. Um, so that part will always speak to, some people who will travel, who will, you know, want to get together for that experience. But there's an incredible, there's an incredible connection, the surprising that happens online. And so it, it's, it, it's a, I guess it's like a cost benefit ratio thing, right? I mean, so for somebody, the cost of traveling and staying someplace isn't worth it, but they still would like to have the the connection and the and the playing together and so what i would what i'm imagining is that next year if the vaccine is available it will be again on site but also have a virtual component and i'm sort of wondering how you have a team that half of them are on zoom or whatever the you know whatever the medium is and the others are actually physically present at the festival so that would be another like you know like how do you develop a team that's part there and part virtual so so i sort of see like that might happen uh and also the all of the well so i'm going through this thing right now about what is the festival the festival itself is those days mm -hmm. but the festival this year and it may be a phenomenon of the pandemic is actually more than those three days right i mean all of the stuff that we're doing is yeah it's, it's it's all meaningful and it's all related to the festival and all of that stuff i don't see you know 
stopping, although maybe not in such a high dose as people begin to get their lives back in the real world. You know, if anybody could do it, you can. And, you know, the beauty is um, playing with people from the UK and India and Japan and all over the world. I mean, I, I was taking, I've been taking a lot of classes during the pandemic before I discovered you. And it's been so brilliant to work with so many wonderful, interesting people and then coordinating the time zones so we can play together. Right. You know? And there's a, a lady out of New Zealand. We're working, uh, working together for a group that was a um, from Aretha Sills. I studied with her a little bit, and she's fantastic as well, as is everybody that I played with um, and learned from. So I'm learning so much, and you're really an inspiration because you know I didn't start improv until I was 60 years old, and physically I couldn't do a lot of stuff. You know, I couldn't run across the stage, and I couldn't jump into somebody's arms or anything like that. And I, in the beginning, I wish I had known, I went through kind of a difficult time. It was a little sad. I was on a team for several years and it just wasn't working for me. And I felt different. You know what I mean? I mean, I've had my knees replaced, my hips replaced, I walk funny, you know. Uh, and so this is such a gift for me and everybody else over 50 to have a place with our peers and to celebrate celebrate our wisdom together i don't know if that makes sense or not but. Yeah. oh absolutely you know it, it's it's like one of the the i guess it's like a pet peeve but i'm getting over it you know but it would be like in in classes to like i can always be told i should listen more I think anybody in any part of their life could be told they could listen better, but in improv for sure. So I take that note and, you know, I'll, ex I, I totally accept it. But when I get the note, when I'm right on target, annoys me. And what I'm saying is we have a lot more things to reference back to make connections to. And when you make a connection as someone over 50, to something that happened that someone in their 20s doesn't even realize ever happened. They don't realize that your connection is right spot on. They right, right, right. Out of left <laughs> field, right? And so I'm going, you know, like you can say that to me, but Bozo the Clown is a real thing. So just because I, you know, brought up Bozo the Clown, don't tell me, you know. So, so that never happens. It never, ever happens with a group of vintage people. Those connections yeah, are yeah. seamless and it's kind of nice, you know, like, I mean, I still may not listen as well as I could, but it's not, it's for valid reasons, not something because somebody doesn't have my frame of reference. So it's kind of fun, you know, to be with a group of people that you share uh, a, a, a deeper common knowledge. And, uh, and absolutely. absolutely and that was my experience when I was performing that I threw out stuff and like the younger people on the team and the audience had no idea what I was talking about and <laughs> so there's something we all like how many people know about Gaskin's farm a, a bunch of us do probably you know and it's that commonality so uh it's and the connection is so great I've met such great people through your workshops I mean they're phenomenal I, I think the other thing that, that, that happened is there's, there's a little bit of um, infantilizing of older people by younger improvisers that have some experience. In other words, they assume because you 
have been in improv for a, a, a few years that you're otherwise immature as well. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's an unconscious bias. It's not like yeah, they're going yeah. that old person I'm going to treat them. But they, but they, but they do. And, and, and not only that, but, but like when we were planning the first, um, the first festival and, 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 I, and Improv Boston produced it for us. Um, they, they had the, the times for the shows and the shows were going to get over by 8 p.m. And I, <laughs> guys, I think we missed a whole tier of possibilities for performing and people are traveling from across the country. And I don't know if I would be so excited if I only got 15 minutes on stage, if that was part of the package of why I was coming. So I think we need the shows to last longer. And they're like, well, we don't want the, we don't want the vintage people to get tired. And I said, oh, no. I said, I said, guys, let, let me just, let's just address that. You know, like if this was a festival, a regular festival, what is the time that the last show gets over? Well, it's 1130. I already knew that, you know, and, and they're like, they're like, oh, we get it. And so then they made the, they, they made the shows go until 11, but but I mean, it's like this idea of, of who you are that's not totally conscious, right? I mean, it, right. they were kind that, you know, look out for the old people, but, uh, <laughs> but only, it's only in, in talking together and, and sharing that information and being heard, you know, if you're the older improviser or any group that's, um, that's underrepresented, if, if you're heard, and then you can make you can make some changes and adjustments so yeah so that uh that's kind of an interesting uh sort of offshoot of of looking at in fact they didn't even and again it's an unconscious thing they didn't even recognize that age 50 and over was a real underrepresented um yeah group of people even though there weren't any people on their teams or their coaches or anybody that was over 50 and then finally they saw it right finally it became it, it unmasked itself i don't know the why of that but it unmasked itself and then they embraced it so i sort of think that that's a good thing about vintage improv and vintage improv festival is it begins to unmask that for everywhere some communities are much farther ahead and others aren't you know and, and all but the the more we see how great our you know the energy is and the and the capabilities are of, of, of people over 50 and just normalize that as part of the norm the better that is for everybody I blabbed a little sorry absolutely and I don't always have to be the grandmother or the old lady walking down the street. I can't tell you how many times people give me those characters. <laughs> I can be a little girl too. I can play, yeah. And it's all about the play, isn't it, Mickey? It's all about the play and having fun. And yeah. uh, it really is. We, we had a, like I started these things, um, they're my play dates, Mickey's play dates. And they're just these crazy things on Tuesday at noon, from noon to two. And, and they're like quirky. So our first one was puppet prov. And 
Carrielle Crespin from um, from the Hideout did this. Oh my gosh, Margot! I mean, the the like it was amazing how the joy, like like being kids again, of doing this improv with these characters that were puppets. I mean, I just thought I was interested. I was again, it's one of those things where you're like surprised. I was interested in the puppets and how that might be on the medium, you know, like, and, and all, and I thought it would be fun, but I didn't realize the, the, the unleashing of this childlike wonder that occurred during that thing. It was like amazing. I'm still like amazed by it. Oh, I hope, uh, oh, bring him back, do another one. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. And he was like, we were talking about, because he's going to be doing a, a genre series uh, in, in August. We're like starting like a monthly genre uh, club. And so he's going to do the mockumentary. And that's what he does. I mean, that's his real, like those kind of things are his real claim to fame. But he's done some shows with puppets. And so I was like, well, somebody told me you did stuff with puppets. and I'm really looking for somebody to do this workshop. And so he was like, well, as long as you tell people that's not my, my that's not my expertise, right? That's like something I do, but it's not my, I go, we don't care. <laughs> <I'll tell> <laughs> we, we don't care. But, but yeah, but he was amazing. And it was really, really fun. And I think, you know, he was also maybe a little surprised at how sweet it just how sweet it was yeah i think that yeah it was sweet oh that's fantastic so many incredible people you're meeting on this journey and who knows what the future is going to bring because i too i've been teaching online and i really believe that we're going to we're in it for a long haul it's it's going to be a while i mean we're speaking today in july of 2020 uh, hopefully in a year we will not be in the same place right. um but um you're bringing so much joy and creativity to so many people it's just such a blessing that you're doing this mickey and i am so grateful because i know how busy you are that you had the time to chat with us today and Thanks. do you have any words of wisdom that you might say to somebody who's over 50 and they're kind of thinking about it but they think it's going to be like whose line is it anyway what would you say to that person? You mean that they're going to um, thinking they're about about improv in general, like yeah, an improviser. You know, as you get older, the one thing you either come from a place where you just have so much laughter in your life that is just part of who you are, and for other people, the laughter is situational. And one of the situations that's very common for it to occur is when your kids are growing up. So when the kids grow up, you might notice that your job's very serious and there's not that laughter running around your house anymore. And so you can rediscover and capture that again. Uh, and it's wonderful by playing some improv games and maybe they are just games like whose line is it anywhere but you anyway but you can also do things that allow you to explore relationship and emotion and so there's all kinds of things that you can do but i want to say that that the laughter and the hormones that get released when you laugh are like so good for your health and they feel you know and they emotionally lift you that i just go for it for the laughter get you know surprise yourself in the presence of other people by taking an improv class and laughing thank you mickey well those are beautiful words to close on and again i'm so appreciative of your time and i'm so grateful and 
just so inspired by the work that you're doing. So keep it up and I'll be seeing you in class pretty soon. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk so much. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Take care now. Be okay. careful. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.